There's people probably sat in their cars now just shivering, going, shut up, Lindsay, stop it, stop it. But as you as you say that word, just feel like Kirsten, say it, say it in a second, and just feel your mouth and your the way that you shape. It's not a pleasant movement. Hey folks, welcome to the Creative Language Learning Podcast with Kirsten Cable and Lindsay Dow. Hey everyone, welcome to a late summer edition of the Creative Language Learning Podcast. As always, or as usual, but usually as always, with Kirsten Cable and Lindsay Dow. How is Lindsay Dow today? Very good, thank you. How is Kirsten Cable today? Kirsten Cable's fine. And today we are going to follow our sort of new experimental structure and kind of catch up with each other and hopefully catch up with you guys as well. So if you've got a good, bad and struggling, then please comment on the blog article or send us a little email. Um, I usually take them at kirsten at fluentlanguage.co.uk and just let us know what your good, bad and struggling is. Right, so Lindsay, good, bad, struggling, what can we say about this? I'm going to do this a little bit in reverse, I think. Okay, okay. So I'm going to start with the bad. So the bad, I would say, is that it's summer. Ashley is a teacher. So I've, I've got a, uh, an off-duty teacher with me for the, for the summer. And that means that my routine is way out, right? Mm-hmm. So in terms of language learning, poof, what's language learning? <laughs> but the good is that I'm okay with that because I know that that's what happens when it's school holidays. And actually, I quite appreciate the sort of the lighter load, both in terms of language learning and in terms of work, you know, because if, if Ashley says, I'm just going to pop into town, I'll be like, yeah, me too. <laughs> because I know I don't get that chance normally to spend um, time with him in that way. And in some ways, that's more important, right? So, so yeah, that's the good. It kind of reflects on the bad. Does that make sense? That you makes see where I'm sense. From? Yeah. yeah. Question. Yeah. Okay. So this is your good and your bad is basically you're off your standard routine in yeah. favor of a sort of summer routine. Yeah. Um, and that's really interesting, obviously, knowing that you're quite a routine-oriented person. Yes. Now, do you, in the back of your mind, do you have a moment kind of, or do you have a small, small Lindsay who's kind of looking forward to the start of the school year? Who's kind yeah. of going, I can go back to the usual routines. Yeah, because I feel... September, and again, maybe this is living with a teacher, but September is like the second chance to start at the year, isn't it? You know, you've got January, New Year's resolutions, all of that stuff. But September is like, okay, eight months, eight, you know, coming into nine months in. And uh, it's like a time, time for another fresh start almost. So yeah, I do. I do take advantage of that when it comes to September. And I am looking forward to that. So in terms of language, um, I'm actually going to be starting something new in September and kind of mixing things up slightly as well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. No more Korean. That. Mm, minimal Korean. Oh, wow. Okay. Interesting, interesting. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I, I've just bought, like, yesterday, I think, purchased uh, an academic year planner. Ah. You know, for, for the year where your year See starts I mean? in July. There's no, there's no other time of year where you can get calendar or a planner to start other than January or September so mm-hmm. I think it is just like built into our systems that that's our second chance of, <laughs> of the year if everything's gone wrong before it doesn't matter because you've got September 
<laughs> that's true yeah I like I like thinking about it that way I hadn't thought about it in, in quite such positive terms ever before but you're right it's kind of really nice to sort of go, go clean slate second clean slate yeah <laughs> and it's it's such a it, it, it is what I think what energizes the, the the trip into winter into darkness but you know we kind of you get your new hobbies you get your new projects and everything kind of picks up again so it's nice yeah as long as it's not beach volleyball otherwise <laughs> You know, starting that in September is probably a bit tricky, at least in this country. True that. Okay, so good and bad is being out of summer routine. Nice. Hmm. Struggling. Struggling. I'm, I'm struggling to think of a struggling Are right you? Now. Yeah, I feel okay at the moment. Like I said, I've kind of accepted that, like, you know, it's a lighter load right now. It's fine. So I'm not struggling with that. Yeah, oh, and that's absolutely fine. So yeah. you're struggling to think of a struggling. And I think that's okay because you don't really have to. Like, I think sometimes we go looking to fill blanks and mm. you don't really need to fill a blank that is blank right now. So this is cool. Okay. What about you? Ooh, okay. Right. The good, I think, has to be the the feeling, of, well, <clears throat> two things. And they're, they're kind of really practical stuff. So number one, the good, I would say, is the feeling of connection that I have brought back from Wales that is still kind of alive and, you know, within me. So that um, it was it was a remarkable experience hearing Welsh spoken around me, but also on the way back, sort of we, we went to the actual celebration that I went to, which is it's called the Eisteddfod, so the, the Eisteddfod. The Welsh National Festival. That was quite near the border with England. But then on my holidays, I went a little bit further west. And then we drove back via the north. And the north is the Welsh-speaking area. So we visited uh, visited a friend and listened to Shoma Rerit. Hello, Shumai. We listened to... Um, oh, we listened to... We met her in... Aberystwyth and Aberystwyth is is one of the most Welsh-speaking areas so that we were in this cafe and there was this guy sort of saying yeah yeah you can talk to me in Welsh Welsh is my native language and I remember Christian's face just going it's someone's native language what Um, and that is kind of that feeling is sort of with me but on a practical level one good thing that I found is I found a language learning magazine you know like printed magazine Mm. Um, when I was at the Stefford because they've got a learner's tent and in there I found this little magazine with little articles where they have three different colour-coded sections blue, green and red and you can kind of pick the difficulty according to the colour so if you can read the red ones you're like very advanced in, I can sort of model my way through the green ones and the blue ones are you can read those quickly you know they're for, they're for beginners so that was really, really great, like because it's something that I can take and just read, and it feels more leisurely, you know, feels a little bit slower, and it's got the vocab printed in it. Nice. Yeah, I wish it was bigger, but it's a, you know, it's a good start. It's called Lingo Newith. I may, I may put that in the show notes as well. Lingo Newith. Um, but the bad kind of coming from that, I guess, is that right now I'm struggling to. And I'm struggling to be off screen for my language learning. Ah. Or at least in terms of not being in a podcast. So I've got, say, something in Welsh, which is a podcast format. I've got sort of language courses where you can really then kind of sit down, just follow the next step. 
Um, the Duolingo is decent for Welsh. I've got a few memorized courses on the go. I've got a BBC course, but the, none of these are printed. And the one printed yeah. textbook that I know in Welsh is is kind of the main textbook. So that's written for school classes. So that's kind of a lot of it is get into groups and get this person to do this. So I never I never bought it because it didn't feel right. So I guess that the, the bad is at the moment that I've got nothing to do off screen. Mm. And I have never, so here's my struggling. Mm-hmm. I've never really used a teach yourself. I've, you know, I've, I've, ah, I was just about to say, I have teach yourself Welsh on my shelf if you want me to send it to you. So, <laughs> ooh, ooh, that's, that sounds really good. Ooh, yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah, no, please, yes. Um, <laughs> it's, it's because, it's, so my struggling is that I've never used a teach yourself course and kind of stuck with it. I have used teach yourself materials, not the teach yourself company. But th- that style of material for Russian yeah. and actually did really quite well with it. Um, I've got, I bought an Asimil for Luxembourgish when we were in Berlin. So mm-hmm. I'm sort of not really working my way through that, <laughs> but it's there and I've kind of started it and kind of felt really good about that as well. But I haven't got a book like in Welsh and I don't know whether I should add something else because I don't like having 10 courses on the go like trying to avoid kind of overwhelm yeah okay I'm trying to avoid having too much going and finishing nothing perhaps then it could be an idea to focus on finishing one of your kind of digital resources Mm -hmm. and then maybe replacing that with a print resource so rather than just adding something and feeling like I need to do I need to do a book I need to get off screen so I'm going to I'm going to use this book and so I'm going to start using it now maybe focus on finishing just one thing that you're using already and then replacing that with a print resource either the textbook or a teach yourself style book or something like that and the other thing I think is actually really common not to finish um course books mhm I think it's, you know, you kind of, it's that beginner's uh, honeymoon phase almost of like, ah, I've never got beyond te- beyond ch- chapter three and teach yourself Polish. Really? Oh, no. well, it is Polish. But I can, but I can, I can master the phrases learned in those first uh, yeah. three chapters. See, I'm kind of, I think something that I notice in myself, and this is something that um, the Gretchen Rubin who talks about, tendencies Mm. and habits and all that stuff something she mentioned and I recognized myself in it so much is the idea of being a finisher Mm -hmm. so I feel really satisfied and happy when I finish a book or finish anything bottle of shampoo (laughs) you know like it has to be last drop when they do these you know those makeup videos on youtube when they do the makeup video and they cut off the tube at the top and scrape it out and say look how much you can get out of this i look at those and i'm like that is satisfying you know it's it's that so i i want to take like the last bit out of my resource so i wonder would it be okay would you give me official permission um because <laughs> someone needs to seemingly um yeah. to speed through my bbc course Yes, because I've done the same thing with ah, um, okay. how to study Korean. <laughs> yes, because so, it is satisfying to finish something. Even mm. if you finish and you feel like, well, I've, did I get the most from that? You've still finished and you can still go back to it. That's right. If you need to. And especially so if, if I you get... feel if you feel you need to finish it, you know, power through, finish it. And then maybe bring in a print resource 
and the it's, replacement. Especially if I'm getting the teach yourself or something like that, I figure it'll it'll probably cover the same materials. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, Just in a slightly different view, and that's really helpful as well. I think mm, learning mm. the language. Nice. Okay. Okay. That is good. That is good. And then hopefully I'll be I'll be on intermediate level before I know it. I did feel in in Wales. This is another adman- advantage of in I think immersion of just being out and speaking, is that you realise you're actually a bit further than you thought you were. Yeah, and that was a feeling that I really kind of embraced, and I was like, yeah, no, I can do this, I can do this. So okay, rush through the BBC perhaps to make space for a teach yourself or similar kind of printed material. Although I think Welsh is a is an you know it's a rare language, so there won't be that much print, printed material. Yeah. And then you've also got the pleasure of finding it as well, which is fun. <laughs> I know. Yeah, that's exciting stuff. Okay. Oh, well, thank you very much for your help. And I shall present today's, so last time in episode 48, uh, in case you missed it, guys, we talked about how you don't need a native teacher. We sort of came in with almost a big statement this sort of you don't need a native teacher and then try to talk around it and present a few arguments maybe maybe for it maybe against it etc um, and today we'll try and do the same thing because we think that's an interesting format so again if you've got a big statement to present to us maybe in the future we can do i can reach fluency in three months or something like that <laughs> you know and kind of talk back and forth and sort of bounce our own thoughts around about it if you've got any statement that you would like to hear discussed on the creative language learning podcast go ahead and send it to us because we'd love to hear it right Lindsay? absolutely awesome okay here is my statement slash hypothesis i'm ready of the day it is language learning can bring world peace <laughs> wow <laughs> yeah pretty much language okay. can save humanity first thing i have to say okay kirsten i've been podcast cheating on you i've been having a podcast affair i i was on the i will teach you a language podcast recently okay with ollie yeah and the question there was about language learning in schools but it boiled down to how can we change the world what, what what's what's the deal why is everyone asking me these big big worldly questions <laughs> I don't Ooh. know I think that is an Ollie Richards thing so shout out to Ollie Richards who um, I remember he was on this podcast um, when I was you know back in back in the uh, back in the tents I think so if you're kind of looking maybe around episode 15 16 um, and we totally ended up like talking about like changing the world and especially the school system oh yeah yeah, yeah. I think I think it's a Maybe it's an Ollie Richards thing. Maybe he's like a world changer at heart. <laughs> but here we are, also changing the world. So, okay, it is. So, first of all, you think it, you think this question is quite big? Can languages save humanity? Do, is there a small way of looking at it? Do you think? Uh, I get, well, I guess you can kind of zoom in, like Google Maps style, and you know, look at like an individual language or an individual kind of town or something. Um, on a wider scale, I mean, I guess there is, my first impression is, whoa, that's huge. And whatever I say on this is going to be massively judged. Mm-hmm. Hello, internets. <laughs> um, but I do think there is something in that. I think so too. I think mm. when once we're zooming in, it's also interesting to think about it uh, from the individual level. 
So you have you have kind of what can language learning do for an individual person in terms of, you know, like not world peace, but perhaps even individual peace or satisfaction. So perhaps we can start there. Yeah, but when you say world peace, mm-hmm. that, that means either Miss America style world peace of the whole world or world peace could be surely the world around you, you know, like your, your world. Mm-hmm. Yes, true. So... So even at the individual kind of bottom level, what could language learning do to, I guess, foster peace? And let's just let's just think of it as peace at the moment of like peace of mind in one person. Hmm. I think one thing that's very um, not unique about language learning, because there are other ways that you can get this, but I think it's a great way to foster tolerance. Mm, maybe tolerance because, is the key here. Yeah, yeah, I th- yeah. Tolerance is massively important, right? Mm-hmm. And and learning another language is, and like I say, it's just one way. You know, it could be that you enjoy um, eating food at your favorite Indian restaurant, whatever. You know, it could be that you enjoy a certain sport or a certain TV show, and from that you gain an understanding, and therefore you gain a, a bit more of a tolerance. But language learning is a huge way, I think, that you can do this, and. Hmm. It's because I feel like a lot of the mm, uh, uh, see what I mean. Everything I say is going to be judged here, but I feel there's a lot of problems in the world that are caused by um, fear. Yeah. Okay. Everything. A lot. A lot boils down to fear, Um, and I'm thinking in particular of of big political things going on at the moment. Mm -hmm. I don't think we can do this episode without mentioning Brexit. Okay. Boom. Brexit. Well, so think about Brexit and a lot of that has, you know, a lot of the campaign for Brexit mm-hmm. on both sides, to be fair, mm-hmm. was kind of fear-mongering and scaremongering into the idea of this is uh, this is what's going to happen if we leave. This is what's going to happen if we don't leave. And, you know, there was a lot of that on both sides. And so fear played a huge role. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that if everyone learned, learned a language, then Brexit wouldn't have happened. But I think that it would have increased people's tolerance. And I, perhaps people would have maybe thought about voting a little uh, bit more. <laughs> some people would, ah, see what I mean? This is so bad. Because I'm yeah, not saying I don't people... Care. That, I, don't, I don't really have a, a desire to be fair. I think, I think having voted for... I think the, the campaign... So I'm just going to come out and say it and you can complain to me in writing and I'm probably going to ignore you because I've made up my mind about this one. I think the campaign um, stoked racism to an extremely large degree and racism is fear-based. So I think Lindsay is going, you know, what Lindsay is saying very politely is I'm just going to say, look, if you voted because you were scared of foreigners coming to override your country, uh, you've got a spark of racism in you, but then so do we all. So hey ho, but you know, don't act on it. That's have you ever stupid. seen Avenue Q? I have not. There's a song in Avenue Q. You should link to it in the show notes. It's called "Everyone's a Little Bit Racist." <laughs> and and correct it is. Yes, that's you know, like we can't avoid it, but that's that's definitely something there. So bringing it back to language, one of my arguments for languages uh, promote world peace is actually going in that direction. So I shall present this to you now. And that is that feelings of exclusion and disadvantage among communities are cut. Especially Mm -hmm. the idea of feelings of exclusion. Mm 
That is something that I have experienced in my own microcosm by speaking German to someone um, in the workplace and then being approached by English-speaking colleagues and told that they really don't like that they don't understand what I'm saying right now. So could I could I please restrict myself to speaking English because it made them feel uncomfortable. Um, but it also works in in larger scales. So for example, the I've heard from the Welsh speaking community that there was some resistance. There is some <coughs> resistance among the English speaking community in Wales, um, people who are just as Welsh, of course. There's some resistance to the idea of strengthening the Welsh language because they feel that it may come at a cost. And it feel, they feel that it may lose them opportunities, as if writing a letter in English and Welsh will somehow damage the English reader, etc. Mm -hmm. So, so there is that kind of feeling, and I think there is a general feeling that I lose out when something is done in another language. So, can learning the language be a be a solution to that? It can certainly help, but I think. It's also important to mention here that this works both ways. Um, so, for example, this isn't necessarily... I mean, we're talking about Brexit, so let's stick to talk about Britain just for a second. This isn't necessarily a British person who whose native language is English having to th have thinking, oh, all of a sudden there's lots of people from... I don't know, I'm going to pick a random country here... Um, the first country I thought of was Switzerland and they speak multiple languages. That's not a good example. Um, All okay. these Norwegians coming in. Okay, Norwegians. Oh, there's suddenly um, an influx of Norwegians living in my town. So um, now I have to learn Norwegian. It's not just that one direction. It also works in the other direction. So people, you know, if I was to go and live in a country where I, Norway, for example, where I, I currently don't speak Norwegian, then I feel like it would be part of my necessity of moving to that country to speak the language mm -hmm. to understand and to to have a an a, a more pleasant existence by at least understanding the basics of that language and then putting in some effort to to kind of grow that now of course there is a difference between someone who moves abroad um for multiple reasons be mm -hmm. it for you know for pure pleasure in the sense of I want to live in that country be it for necessity be it for work be it for you know refugee or it's kind of asylum status mm -hmm. you know those reasons could differ massively for moving to a different country and there is a difference between someone who moves to a different country and someone who um, wants to learn a language or thinks they're good at learning a language mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so again I mentioned that the, the discussion with Ollie was based around school on, on that podcast so it comes down to that and it comes down to if people are, are kind of fed the message of, oh, language learning's hard and if you, you know, if you do it, you're really clever and if you, some people have a gene and all of these kind of nonsense things that are fed to us. Yeah. And, you know, people think, oh, well, that's not me. But then they want to move to Norway. We'll stick with, <laughs> stick with where we're at as our example. And then they think, oh, well, I can't learn Norwegian because I, I was rubbish at school with French. Um, then that's not very helpful. Whereas if the mentality is kind of, you know, actually I'm moving to Norway and it's important that I can communicate with my neighbours and that I can go down to the shop and buy things in the language of the place where I'm living now. And, and it's... So I think in that sense, it's very important. And therefore that helps to create tolerance both ways. 
because the person who is now there is tolerant of where they are and they're more understanding of where they are, you know, mm-hmm. by learning the language. And the person who already is in the place and is interacting with the new person is thinking, ah, oh, this person has, has made the effort and they care about where they are and they, you know, they, they want to know more about this country. And that's a mark of respect then on both levels. So it definitely increases tolerance when you learn a language. And I feel like tolerance is a huge part of understanding. Mm-hmm each other I, I think it's I think it's interesting I think you've you've kind of turned you've you've sort of turned this around a little bit um from the from the person perhaps who is already in a specific place and then sees an influx of foreign language I guess coming in that is different from the person who displaces themselves and um I think it's really interesting because the words that you used uh basically were talking about it being adv- advantageous to learn another language, which is true if you're going abroad, but maybe not so true if you're staying where you already are. Um and it's you were saying it's pleasant, which I think is great because that is one that is true no matter if you're staying or going, it can be pleasant. Um and then the fact that it makes life a little bit more simple, that's perhaps more true as well if you're displacing yourself. So those feelings of exclusion and disadvantage of one community over another, perhaps they exist when someone is not being displaced and has kind of something coming in on them. But when they have actually chosen or even not chosen, but you know, when their life situation, when their life is in upheaval anyway, um, and the change is coming in anyway, then language learning becomes this sort of grease, it becomes this sort of helper, and it just makes everything a little bit more it makes everything a little bit more helpful, I guess, in that sense. So I think that's really, really interesting. And that kind of goes in with one of the counter cases that you've already addressed there is that forcing people to learn or feeling like you're having this foisted on you, feeling like you, you're being forced to learn this uh, makes creates feelings of resistance. Hmm. So interesting, interesting point, because then it's like language learning is never going to create world peace or foster understanding or or help with tolerance if we make people do it yes. in a way yes and and here's the other thing ah. it's it's not going to be a thing for everyone it's something that everyone can do and i strongly believe that because you know we i'm, I'm talking to you in english now i didn't put much effort into learning english mm-hmm. it just happened because of, of my environment and where i was and and kind of what people like spouted at me when I was at school or whatever right so everyone can learn a language it's something we can do yes but that doesn't mean that when it comes to second or third or fourth or 15th language acquisition that it's something people want to do and that's where the difference comes from the first to the second whatever third fourth whatever now it's kind of like like for example if you place it in a, in a school sense where you've got, you have your French lesson, you have your math lesson, you have your history lesson. At school, I did all right, but I would say that maths was something I didn't enjoy. It was something that I found a little bit difficult, kind of boring, kind of pointless. I've never, ever used sing, cos and tan since I was aged 16, right? Now... Therefore, kind of in that comparison, it's it's something that, that you might think, well, this isn't for me. This isn't my thing. And that's fine too, because it isn't for everyone. In the same way, you know, learning to play a musical instrument isn't something that 
everyone wants to do with enough drive to go out there and do it. Okay, I'm curious to see where you're going with this. That was kind of the end. Okay, right. I would argue that what this... Yes, no, you may have never used Sin, Cosentan, neither have I. Um, But we all understand a bell curve. And we all understand a bell curve just from looking at it. Wait, what? What's a bell curve? (laughs) (laughs) A bell curve is when you've got like a, like it's usually a statistical thing. Is it like a graph? Oh my God. Can everybody please just, just mute the podcast for 10 seconds while I try and do maths. Um, (laughs) It's, 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 it's like one of those stats things, right? Where you say the majority of people in the middle of this fall into the average of this, right? It's a graph. It's like a little hill, right? Okay, I got it. I'm with you. So I think that is somehow related to the sin cosentan, but it may not be. But also, we understand pi, right? We understand how to calculate the the mass, the area of a circle. We can look um, and, and like having done geometry in school, I think does a great thing for helping you understand say, distances, which maybe you're applying without even knowing while driving a car all the time. Equally, learning languages in school, even if you're bad at it, makes you, and this is perhaps where I'm coming to uh, my second argument, makes you understand that there are that there are different ways of looking at the world, that there are different perspectives and different, you know, just that there are different languages out there, which also automatically then shows you there are different communities out there and those communities are different from mine and they're also, okay, here's how they live, right? Mm. So trust in other people is increased as we learn another language because what we're learning is behind those closed doors where they speak foreign, they're not cooking up uh, poisons for everybody. They're actually just living a life just the same way you are. Right. And then I guess when language education in school isn't like whether you're good at it or not but when it isn't seen as a kind of fun thing or a necessary thing or it's seen as oh man I've got French next then those doors aren't opened in the same way you know that would be a counter argument I mean if we're thinking about it in terms of school and I think and I think we can go beyond school but yeah, well, because for English speakers, it tends to be that school is the first place you come into contact with another Absolutely. language. Yeah. Which for me as a German speaker, for example, wasn't the case. Yeah. When I was a kid, um, definitely not. Definitely not. Number one, because I come from uh, Europe, like continental Europe, where countries are much closer to each other. And I come from a, a border region. So there was always a lot of another language. Like I could get another language on the radio. Hmm. But bear in mind, we, we've previously spoken about Scots, Welsh, Irish, etc. These countries could be way more bilingual than they are. You do have television channels, at least on iPlayer, that broadcast in other languages. And those are British languages. So the options are there to come into contact with this. But that's a, a question to make sure that school and maybe primary languages is helping us a little bit there, a tiny bit. School isn't the first time you come into contact with another language. I think even from your childhood and mine to the childhood that exists now where people go on holiday more, hopefully hopefully small children come into contact with speakers of other languages way more 
way more than we did as children. I would think so. so. And also I'm thinking about there's a couple of kids TV shows that come to mind like Dora uh, the Explorer and I think there's a, a show on BBC called The Lingo Show. The Lingo Show. So things like that perhaps bridge that gap between school. Yes. So I would I would counter that argument about language language in school. I think you're right. If that's the first time you come into contact with it, you're already in an environment where somebody's making you do it and you're feeling like it's got no relation to your life. Uh, mm -hmm. That is not ideal. But the idea of understanding motives and just understanding what goes on behind the closed doors is something that I would mostly put forward. I, not as a school. I don't think that's a curriculum thing. I think that needs to be needs to be all around us. And hopefully that is what the world that is the 21st century world that we are looking I at right now. I think so. And I think, yeah, things are changing. Like it's so easy to access. Um, for example, um, there's an amazing app called Gus on the Go. Mm -hmm. Or apps, I should say, plural. Multiple languages. Amazing interface. Like, it's just beautiful. Really, really, it's like a pleasure to use um, in multiple languages with very little English in, in the apps. So there are things out there and the modern world definitely helps with that. And I think, I think in many ways it helps to increase, um, like we, we, meant, we talked about tolerance quite a bit earlier, I think it mm -hmm. helps to increase tolerance. Um, but at the same time, it can hinder that. I mean, if you think about press and the way some certain things are perceived in the press sometimes, then, you mm. know, it, it can also have a negative effect. This is beyond language learning at this point. I'm, I'm this, talking. Okay, so this is this this is interesting because I think it draws into perspective or into focus something that we saw. Again, I'm going to go back to the Brexit vote because that's the world we live in right now. The Brexit vote in terms of how young people voted versus old people, and I think that that's is very interesting. I don't think that is necessarily these people are better people than the other people, not at all. No. But I think it reflects the world that you live in as a young person, being so much more easily, being so much more able to not perceive a threat and to identify yourself with, you know, a, a bigger, more globalized, more international identity, because that's just what you've grown up in. That is the world that you know. So we're seeing it changing. I don't know if it would, if I would describe it as not perceiving a threat as much, more just the idea of it's there and, you know, it's, it's much more easy, it's much easier to access um, videos, texts, apps, whatever from, from other cultures and other languages. And so it does become more normal. Mm -hmm. And when things are normal, quote unquote, what's normal really, but when things are normal, then it, it doesn't even need to be thought about. Yeah. And in that and when sense... It, when it's normal, it's not a threat. Yes. And in that sense, bringing it back to the to the main question, you know, can language sort of save humanity? Can it... How can it change the world? I think that when it's normal mm. to learn a second, third language, and not just in a place like Luxembourg, where it is normal already, um, but when it's normal to do that, in a wider, on a wider scale, more global scale, then there is more of a chance of language learning doing that. And it would be interesting, actually, I've just mentioned Luxembourg. I would, it would be interesting to see what the um, kind of, the, 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 the opinions, if you like, are 
of people in somewhere like Luxembourg where they do learn multiple languages from such a young age and it is just normal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Although, I mean, not everyone in Luxembourg is trilingual. There are many Luxembourgish people who say are French speakers and don't speak any German, for example, even though it's official language. But am I right in thinking they're at least mostly bilingual? You, I don't know. I don't know. Oh. We have to make an assumption here. Yeah. It's like it's like not everyone who's Swiss knows two, three yeah, languages. But I think they know that they need... I think they, they do... But it's considered much more normal. Yes, exactly. And I think it's it's considered much more necessary, right? You know, there's more of a need to know it. Yeah. To, to even, some, even somewhere like um, kind of Scandinavian and Nordic countries, uh-huh. you know, where English, like... I'm thinking about like Chris Broholm, for example. His English is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. incredible for a second language speaker you know is it though is yeah. it though or is that isn't that the capacity that we all have ah uh, okay <laughs> different well, question different podcast uh-huh. <laughs> yeah but no but it is because mm-hmm. maybe it is the capacity that we all have but we're not all using it which makes the english that chris speaks so amazing right mm. Yeah, it's, now, why, it's why people get his, excited about my English as well. Yeah. Now, now you used the word earlier. I was like, what is that word? You're talking about bell curves. It's like, I can't tell you what a bell curve is in any other language. And, you know, and so, but thinking about that, the idea of it becoming normal, mm-hmm. um, one thing that would happen if that were to be the case is that it would be, you would now, you know, when you say to people now, like, oh, yeah, I learn languages. And, oh, how many languages do you speak? Mm-hmm. That question. And you go, oh, well, I've studied like 10. And they go, wow, that's amazing. You know, that would change. Mm-hmm. Now, for me, that's not an issue. I don't care about that. But for some people, perhaps it's like a reason, learning languages is perhaps a reason of um, a bit of um, prestige, maybe, of almost like, yeah, this is, my, this, is, this is my thing. Not many other people do this. And so I want to make it my thing. Um, and so maybe that would change. I don't know. It would be, yeah, at this stage, it's a way of differentiating yourself, which is See, interesting. See, there you are, using English words I don't know again. Differentiating? No, this, this stage? Oh, at this stage. Oh, at this stage. Okay, yeah, I understand. <laughs> I speak English so quick. No. <laughs> but <laughs> um, it's, yeah, at this stage, at this stage, it, I is, a, that. it is a way of um, differentiating yourself, which is interesting because, and I've, pointed this out previously about polyglots and I think it's less of an issue than it used to be but cut, cutting the whole cutting this short um, finding a way of differentiating, your, differentiating yourself can then foster a sense of exclusion which is exactly what we're saying languages can prevent which again goes back to mm. what we keep coming I'm, I'm, I like how I like how a real kind of statement is emerging here which is like when it's normal it's totally good when it's added no. So this is interesting. Okay, here comes my last argument. I think this is an, a very, very interesting point. Okay, rolling up my sleeves. Yes. Okay. Think away from learning foreign languages, necessarily, right. to becoming more familiar with your own language, more in control of your own language, and more aware of things like word choices and narratives in the sense of For example, the perspectives that media force on us by using specific angles of spinning a story one way or another. The higher awareness we have 
of the words that are being used around us to describe the world, the more we will enable, empower ourselves to question what is going on. That's deep. So you're talking about there, let me try and nutshell that. You're saying that if we get a better understanding of our own language and of the the words that media are likely to use, for example, yeah, and then we can understand the way things are being portrayed better, we can almost read between the lines? Yeah, I think... If Is that we, what you mean? Yes, sort of, yeah. What I mean in, in the grander scheme of things is understanding the power of language. Uh-huh. Being aware of the power of language, not necessarily sitting down learning French, blah, blah, blah. Even just understanding the power language has in this world can totally contribute to all those things that we've been mentioning. Trust, uh, tolerance, cutting down on exclusion and being more aware of whether we are disadvantaged or advantaged. Yes, I would agree with that. And I think sometimes language is very much underrated in that sense. We almost take it for granted. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The fact that, oh, I can speak this and I can write it okay and I, I do it right. We kind of, we don't actually think to maybe analyze it in some sense. So I think it's very valuable um, if we again, bring it back to school to learn, like in my case, English. We had like English language and then English literature lessons. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I preferred the literature at the time but thinking back I think I preferred the language now I'm glad that we had that as a separate thing um what I'm thinking is that yes it's useful something that that comes to mind straight away is that again talk about maths you have a right or a wrong answer it's a or it's b right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. something like an English exam isn't always that clean cut and that can make it difficult because whatever, you know, you've got an examiner marking your work, it depends on their mood, it depends on, on their um, interpretation, it depends on their own thoughts and opinions. They're bound to come into play when they're marking something like a, an English written piece as opposed to a maths exam with a solid answer structure. Mm-hmm. And so, so I wonder how that affects this maybe it doesn't maybe i'm just overthinking but i think it 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 allows you to examine how there's various ways of saying stuff Mm. and i think that is very very helpful actually um you keep coming you you sort of keep revolving around the idea of school yeah i don't know why i don't i wonder if it's yeah either you're you're primed because you've been on you've been cheating on a podcast um and i'm going to put this link in the show notes of course Lindsay. on the i will teach you a language podcast um but in a, in a grander scheme of things, so if I take it out of school, um, okay, one word that absolutely comes into mind that actually I've, I've got the most recent issue of Babel magazine downstairs and uh-huh. they, are, they are examining it. I'm so glad when I got this, when I, when I read the headline, I was so massively grateful um, because they are going to examine the use of the word migrants. Oh. Which here in the UK, if if you are a listener in the USA, first of all, thank you, or anywhere else really, but USA as, as the biggest other English-speaking area, um, write in if I'm wrong about it. If you are not in the UK, you may have not been aware, you may have not noticed the the uh, how the word migrant has sort of <laughs> migrated. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, the use of the word migrant might have started out as something like six years ago. It might have meant something completely different to what it means now. And now it just seems to mean foreigner coming to live here, generally a bad thing. Um, and it, I don't think it necessarily used to mean that. And the media and some political parties, UKIP, I'm looking at you, um, you should be banned. But the media have really taken this and kind of run with it and used that word and made it into something else. So the usage of, of just one word, migrant, it can mean Syrian refugee. It can mean uh, Kirsten coming to live in England from Germany. It can mean someone who is just in, in the UK maybe for five months and then wants to go again. Um, it, it doesn't mean the same as immigrant or does it? No one really knows. Um, it's sort of, and I think the murkiness of of that term, the way that term has become more murky, has actually been, is a way that it has been used to the disadvantage of everybody, right? So they've, they've taken this term that may have been specific once, I don't even know, made it definitely unspecific right now, and I think that has taken control away from the people who are receiving the messages. Hmm. So this is an active example of language being used against us. Something that I think about the word migrant and immigrant is kind of um, on either on a more basic or more complex level. I'm not sure which way you would take it. But when you think about the sound of the word, and I'm thinking about what's often considered the worst word in the English language. It begins with a C and it ends in a T and there's a U and an N in the middle, right? When you, I'm thinking about the sound of that word. Oh my particular- God, explicit. Explicit level is coming on the podcast now. Sorry. Yeah, I'm going to put a little E on so little it starts e, wearing yeah, now. E. Oh, I'm not going to say the word. Okay. Um, but that word, that end sound, that ent, 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 migrant, immigrant, that sound is quite <gasps> a harsh sound. I see. Right? Now, I, th- I think there's a lot to be said about sounds of words and like people hate the word moist, moist. And when you when you really say it, there's people probably sat in their cars now just shivering, going, "Shut up, Lindsay! Stop it! Stop it!" But as you as you say that word, just feel like Kirsten. Say it. Say it in a second, and just feel your mouth and your, the way that you shape. It's not a pleasant movement. Go on, say the word. I'm mouthing it right now to try and get the okay. Moist. Moist. I'm not you bothered. Almost... I'm not bothered. No. No. But it's but, not very pleasant. You almost squint and you kind of more. And the same with, it's kind of you push that sound out. Uh-huh. Migrant, migrant. And it almost makes you migrant, migrant. Okay. You know, it's, it's, there's something in the sound of the word. And maybe that's part of the reason, consciously or sub, or kind of subconsciously is that the one where you're not in a coma you know (laughs) maybe that's part of the reason why it has been um kind of taken and used and and warped in this way perhaps interesting Interesting. maybe you know whether that's intentional or not i don't know um Mm -hmm. but that's that's just my take on it i'm also as you were talking about this i'm i was also becoming mindful of the way that um small children or even teenagers, you know, like when, when we swear in the UK, at least mm. very often I have heard when people, when people might swear and another person is sort of scolding them, they use the word language, <laughs> right? So yeah. It's, and it's also like, pardon, pardon my French. <laughs> yeah. Pardon my, pardon my French language or mind your language, 
right? And it's yeah. it's almost like, and that is something that in German we don't we don't really do this, right? They don't say uh, "Pass auf deine Sprache auf" or something like that. It just no way. It would mm. be like what? So when this first when I first heard this in England, I was like, what does that mean? And it it means don't swear. Your ears are picking um, up like language. Where? What? What? Yeah. Like, what language? Yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm speaking language. <laughs> so uh, in a way, this 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 kind of brings that also in for me is that language is just so powerful and and partly also because it is what because it's so physical right because it's our breathing because it's our vocal cords because it's our tongue and our mouth and and it's it's kind of it's it's what we expel you know and it can be so beautiful but it can be so so bad and so dangerous. So I think my my final argument is not really about learning foreign languages in the sense of it being um, a, a tolerance-fostering activity, although I do believe in that. My final point is our awareness of the power of language really can foster world peace. What do you think? Ooh. 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 I think, yes, it's not just... Well, not yeah. just that, you know. No, 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 no. That's not what I was going to say at all. I was going to say it's not just about learning foreign languages. Correct. You know, when you say can language save humanity, yeah, I'm really glad that you've raised that point about kind of understanding the power of language and kind of gaining perhaps a further understanding of, of your own to begin with to to really go deeper with that. I think that's a really interesting point and I'm glad that you've brought that up. Mm. so language in a way language is power knowing how to talk to people is power knowing and you know you you find that when you know because language is often a shorthand for education you know yeah. the, the more formal you can express yourself the, the the better you can write the fact that i speak english uh, most people take that to mean that i am educated right mm. and then education is a shorthand for you've been given i don't know certain opportunities in life or you, you know, like some people value that and, and think that that means, you know, like a more developed personality or whatever it, you know, whatever it stands for. So it's, there is such power in both foreign languages and in our own. So maybe a final, a final, because I think, I think we, we, we got to a really good point with foreign languages where we said it's when it's normal and when languages, when foreign languages are a normal part of your world, then you've got this sort of extremely positive kind of place where you are mentally. Mm. Um, and it does foster tolerance and it does foster world peace when it's normal. When it's not, and languages are basically forced on you because they're not a natural part of your world, um, it, it doesn't really do much because it, it just makes you too resistant. But being aware of the power of your own language, so you don't even have to look at foreign languages, can still push you in the right direction push you, propel you, help you travel in the right direction. I think that is a good place to, I think that's a good place to land. That was me landing. <laughs> so um, hopefully we've managed to, um, we've managed to only offend about a quarter of our listenership with this marginally political episode oh. of the Creative Language Learning Podcast. Um, but like I've said before, you've already heard, you've already heard our little Brexit statement. You know where we stand on the issue. That doesn't mean that people who stand somewhere different on the issue are bad people or anything like that. But, you know, it's, it's interesting. It reflects the world that we live in. And the, especially the generational 
um, aspects of of what's been going down and you know what's going down around the world um, are a, are an interesting thing to look at. Um, and growing up in a changing world is where we are. So with that um, level of philosophy, I think I'm I'm done. You got anything else for the show today? I think I'm done. Oh, just, I have I have a, a quote. Oh, go on. I have, I have a quote to quote us out, and this is something that you um, you sent me this article right about language is no barrier at the East Stafford. Yes, the BBC the Welsh festival article. you attended. Exactly the Welsh mm-hmm. uh, national. Did you know? Did you know? Okay, this this totally everyone's gonna go to Wales after this. Did you know that they have an arch druid? I don't know what that means. It doesn't matter. They have an arch druid. It sounds so cool. Oh, okay. It's just but me it, then. But if I don't know what it means, it could be something really bad. But it's a druid. I've always know. wanted to meet a druid. Me too. Okay. Well, I thought that was like the biggest tourist advertisement ever. Um, yeah, they have they have a whole thing like they have bards, druids, and big ceremonies. Mm. I was into it. There's a flower dance too. Cool. Okay. Notwithstanding that, okay, here is the quote from this article, which I'm also going to link in the um, show notes. It says, "Language is a beautiful caress that can make strangers melt into friends." But it is also a verbal door that can be closed in the face of outsiders. Hmm. I like that. I thought of, it kind of fitted my, it fitted my thoughts for for this in general for this episode. Nice. Mm-hmm. And with that, that was episode forty nine of the Creative Language Learning Podcast. Next episode, we've got a. Uh, truly special one for you because it's episode 50 and Lindsay and I are going to lighten the mood and we're going to celebrate how much song can you sing before you have to pay the rights am I allowed to do this and with that in mind it is goodbye from me goodbye and goodbye from Lindsay Dow good and dying good and dying bless thanks for listening to the creative language learning podcast guys don't forget to subscribe and to rate the podcast in itunes or on stitcher that's always very much appreciated if you have any feedback or you've got any questions you can email me kirsten k-e-r-s-t-i-n at fluentlanguage.co.uk or you can find me on facebook fluent language tuition or on twitter at kirsten hammers that is k-e-r-s-t-i-n h-a-m-m-e-s 